Welcome to another podcast at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. I'm Tony Anderson, your general manager, and with me today is Rachel Johnson, our grassroots advocate. And we're excited today because we're going to talk about an issue that gets a lot of um, a lot of press and something a lot of people are talking about. But I don't I don't think we've really dug into some of the opportunities and challenges, and that is nuclear energy. Kind of what what it is, what we're doing with it right now in Cherryland's portfolio, and in the U.S., and then talk about some of the benefits that nuclear energy offers us and also some of the challenges the nuclear industry faces today. Correct. And I'm going to start off with some of the basics of nuclear energy. There's nuclear energy facilities in 31 states, and obviously it supplies a low-carbon electricity, but it supplies that low-carbon electricity to one of every five U.S. homes and businesses. And uh, one fuel pellet of nuclear energy is as much as one ton of coal, 149 gallons of oil, and 17,000 cubic feet of natural gas, so a highly efficient use of the material used. And uh, nuclear energy provides 64% of the carbon-free power in America, so very important uh, to providing that energy that is uh, totally free of greenhouse gases. And the very basics of uh, nuclear energy, uh, for those people who may not know, is it involves the breaking apart of an atom. And that atom is split and it releases energy. Obviously, that atom is is uranium. The reaction heats water, and the water creates steam, and the steam turns the turbine. So it's really that simple. Obviously, inside the nuclear reactor, it's more complex. But that's generally what we're doing. We're using uranium to uh, heat up water to spin a turbine. And we're able to do that very efficiently. And you kind of already hinted at this, but um, you talked about how it... It forms 64% of the carbon-free generation in the U.S. today. But to put that into perspective, it also is 20% of the overall generation portfolio in the U.S. today. Yes. So 20% of the power that we're relying on to keep the lights on, keep the refrigerators going, et cetera, et cetera, is all coming today from nuclear energy. Yeah, and one of the problems is that it is not, it's not a problem that it's carbon-free, but the fact that a lot of our nuclear fleet is like our coal fleet. It's aging. It's being shut down. The Vermont Yankee plant was the latest to shut down in 2014. And I think there were five other nuclear facilities shut down in 2014. So we're we're losing a form of uh, carbon-free generation in this country, and, and we're not building any new generation uh, that's carbon-free. Yeah, and I think the other thing, and it, it, there's a lot of reasons behind this. I'm not sure we can dig into all of them, but you're not only are you seeing an aging nuclear fleet that's being shut down. You're seeing nuclear plants being shut down prematurely. They still have uh, mm-hmm. life available in them, but the the way the market works today, it makes more sense to, you can make energy cheaper and sell it cheaper with natural gas than you can with nuclear. So it's it, they're not making economic sense today sometimes mm-hmm. under today's market. And, and then I think the other piece is you just don't really see a lot of new nuclear development. No, I, I said there's nothing being built. That's not totally correct. There is one new nuclear facility that I'm aware of in, I believe, Georgia. Some electric co-ops are participating in that, and that should come online in the next couple of years. So there is a little bit being done, but we're certainly uh, shutting off more than we are building. And what do you think are the reasons that we're not building new nuclear today? It's the same reason we haven't built much nuclear over the last 30 years people are afraid people don't understand and they're afraid of the technology although we've not had any serious accidents and no deaths in our country people are are scared of the radioactivity the the negative 
side effects and um, put it bluntly nuclear energy hasn't done a good job of marketing their product over the last 30 years and consequently today we're as scared of it today as we were in 1979 when three mile island happened sure so nuclear basically kind of has a, a pr problem and and certainly you can look globally and see instances where some, something has failed, and there has been an, a, a nuclear incident, if you mm-hmm. will, that's had consequences. Yep. But I think if you contextualize that within how many nuclear plants are online globally today, mm-hmm. it's safe to say that it is a, a very, very safe form way to generate electricity. I, I certainly believe so. Yeah, I agree. And I, if you try not to get into the whole climate change debate in this podcast because we want to focus on nuclear, but if you support climate change and believe we need to reduce our greenhouse gases, I just believe you got to support nuclear. And, and I don't see that a lot from that, those people who want, who believe in climate change. I don't see them supporting nuclear. And I, and I don't see renewables and energy conservation replacing the growth in this country. You know, in a future podcast, we'll talk about population growth and electricity usage, but it, it's significant. Our, our population is growing by about 2 million people a year. And I, I just don't see renewables and energy conservation covering that demand for electricity in the future. Well, and I think one thing, and this is, we don't talk a ton about this, but when you think about uh, a particular form of generation as avoiding emissions, right? So how many, how, how, how big of an impact can this have on avoided emissions? You have to ask your question, ask the question, is this thing I'm installing actually going to result in me not having to install a coal plant? Mm -hmm. In other words, is this type of generation going to replace this other type of generation I've said is has higher emissions? Mm -hmm. With nuclear, the answer is basically yes. Nuclear is about 90, over 90% capacity factor. So over 90% of the time that a nuclear plant is alive, it is generating electricity. Mm -hmm. To put that in perspective, something like wind, somewhere between 20 and 40 percent depending on where it's at solar is usually under 20 percent depending on where it's at so Mm -hmm. it can't serve as an immediate replacement for a baseload coal plant because a baseload coal plant is needed for that 90 percent capacity factor so the avoided emissions on wind and solar are less Mm -hmm. because they're not truly allowing us to take a coal plant offline whereas the avoided emissions with nuclear are higher because it truly can allow us to take a coal plant offline absolutely that's a great point where are we going to go with nuclear? That That's the question our listeners are probably asking. We're sitting here talking about it going away. Uh, what what new strides are being done with nuclear? Mm-hmm. And, well, ahead. and I know, and you probably know a little more about this than I do, but I know that there are, there, first of all, there are a lot of new technologies, fusion versus fission, and, and some kind of really deep technologies that I think have potential. But on a kind of more immediate scale, uh, Wolverine Power Cooperative is a part of a consortium of utilities that are are helping to support research and development into small-scale modular nuclear reactors. And one of the uh, disadvantages with nuclear is because they are so big. Mm-hmm. They're very, very expensive to build. And so it, they, they're... they're for a lot of smaller utilities like us, they don't necessarily make sense for us to build a nuclear plant. It's just bigger than what we need. Whereas these small-scale modular nuclear reactors would allow, what is it, 100 megawatt? Two to 300 megawatt is what I've seen okay. they're testing. And when they say modular, they're looking at the whole Henry Ford model of can we build them on an assembly line and truck them to a location and install them quickly and efficiently, and I hope they can get to that. So... 
what you'd see is two, 300 megawatts uh, scattered about the country. You know, Wolverine peaks at around 600 megawatts. So that two, 300 size is right in our wheelhouse. If the, the, obviously they got to get the price to where we can afford it. And we're some years from determining that price. But I think that's the future of nuclear is downsizing. Sure. So we can use it throughout the country. Well, and the cool thing is, and I mean, you just said this, but if we're a 600 megawatt utility, we install one of those, we're, we're 50% carbon free off the bat with our base load. In theory, yes. And that's before we start to layer in, you know, some piece of wind. Wolverine's on track right now to be above 20% uh, renewables with, their, with the wind hmm. in their portfolio. That's where you start to see a really significant impact on the carbon footprint, if you will, of, of a utility of a utility like Wolverine, mm-hmm. uh, kind of of our of our yeah. I, I recently had a conversation with a, a director of a GNT out in Iowa. Uh, their GNT is over sixty percent carbon free, and they do that with renewables and nuclear energy, uh, and their rates are low. They, they've done a good job based on their taking advantage of their opportunities. So that's the potential you can see when you combine nuclear with renewables and a little bit of natural gas, you can really drop your carbon footprint. And I think the other thing, so we kind of already said we think the safety concerns are overinflated, but if we take the safety concerns at face value, the the technology that the small-scale modular nuclear reactors is using actually helps to alleviate some of those concerns because they're designed to be installed in a way that the the pools that cool the nuclear reactors Hmm. are located above the actual nuclear reactor. So in the event of a failure, gravity will feed that water down and cool the reactor, as mm-hmm. opposed to the plant having to have an energy source in order to cool itself, which is what happened with like the, the Fukushima plant. Right, right. That's one thing that listeners may not understand because it's not talked about a lot, is if a nuclear facility loses its electricity, it loses the ability to cool the water that cools the used-up uranium, and then you have a problem mm-hmm. when, when that ra- ra- uranium... Uh, starts to heat up the water it's stored in you can have a problem if you're out of power for 8 10 20 hours but uh, they have backups to that and we haven't had any issues with that at the present facilities but certainly in the small scale you'll you'll eliminate that and Mm -hmm. and there is one theory that the small scale nuclear could be all underground Mm -hmm. and, and further reduce any chance of accidents and injuries and release so it basically it's the, tech, the technology would allow us to accomplish several goals at once, right? It's reliable, which is at the end of the day what the utilities want. We know that our members expect us to keep the lights on. We don't have the luxury of being intermittent. Mm-hmm. We have to be reliable. Nuclear is. We know that it's carbon-free, which is certainly the direction it, f- it feels like we're going as a nation, is moving towards a lower carbon footprint. Uh, we know that it's safe, and we obviously are committed to safety Right. In our system, but but as a country. So it's, it's like win, 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 win. Until you get to storage. Yeah. Then, then we, <laughs> everything's out the door with storage because we can't agree on storage. Yucca Mountain's been in disarray for years now, and it doesn't look like that's going to get resolved. So what we're doing is we're storing all the spent fuel on the site where it's been used, and now we're having some, coal, or some uh, nuclear plants shut down, but they still have to store that take care of that spent fuel. So they're spending millions, not generating electricity, but just storing that spent fuel because as a nation, we haven't got together to organize that and to get that under control to help reduce our costs for that piece of the nuclear business. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I, so, I, and I think kind of to, to summarize this piece too, if we had to say what, are, so we know the win-win-wins, but what are the biggest challenges or limitations to, to wide-scale nuclear development right now? One is certainly the storage issue. Yep. Um, I think another one is quite honestly, abundant natural gas reserves. Correct. And the fact that you can build a natural gas plant for cheaper. And right now the fuel source is fairly inexpensive as well. Mm-hmm. So n- nuclear completing, competing with natural gas is is holding it's back a, the nuclear industry right now. It's a big right issue. Now. It's a big issue. And it also, that's one of the things we need to point out to our, our listeners is the fact that we can go down the natural gas road, and, and we certainly are at Wolverine. We're, we're building a, a gas plant that's going to be an important part of our portfolio. But as we push more and more to the natural gas side, that puts more and more of our eggs in one basket. And that's what I feel like we've been good at it at Wolverine and at Cherryland is not putting all our eggs in one basket. But as a country, if we keep shutting down nuclear and keep shutting down coal plants and we, it's going to drive us to natural gas and we're going to find ourselves with all our eggs in one basket. So we have to remember, we don't want all our eggs in one basket if we want to have stable, affordable rates in the future. Sure. Because all of those pieces of the basket are a hedge against changes in the other pieces, right? right? So if suddenly we went into a period of time where there was a a lack of coal supply, but we have a decent amount of natural gas in our portfolio, we're we're, we're protected somewhat against Mm -hmm. that. Or if suddenly natural gas prices spike, like you hinted at, and we have enough nuclear in our portfolio, we have a hedge against that. And similarly with wind and other renewables as yeah, well. Yeah, our, our energy strategy always needs to be all of the above. We're kind of focused on nuclear today, but that's to encourage the all of the above conversation. Mm-hmm. We, we, it, it needs to be a player, and it seems to be falling off our plate a little bit. And I would think, so we, you know, we kind of hinted at a couple of challenges, but I would add that I think one of the biggest things that's limiting nuclear development today is the lack of a organized advocacy effort for nuclear. Right. You know, we, we have, we seem to have that for other areas of the industry and of, of our supply, but, but nuclear just, like you said earlier, it has such a PR problem. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's interesting to me because I, I look at it and just see so many positives, and yet we don't seem to have any real organized effort to figure out what policy mechanisms need to be in place to support nuclear development in the United States. Yeah, there is the Case Energy Coalition, which is a nationwide effort, uh, certainly funded by advocates of nuclear energy and utilities who produce nuclear energy. Uh, they've been advocating for nuclear energy for uh, many years now, but I, I just don't see them gaining a foothold. Mm-hmm. You know, they have former people who worked with Greenpeace and worked at the EPA, but I, I just don't see them uh, gaining a foothold. Yeah, and there's another group called Nuclear Matters, and they have a lot of, you know, they're they're a solid advocacy group. They have a lot of good information on their website, but still, I don't, I just don't see that emotional investment in it mm-hmm. that we see with some of the other areas. I think yeah. that will limit it. Yeah, it's easy to get people behind energy conservation. People can get passionate about wind and solar. The the passion is not there for nuclear. Yeah, that's and, kind of scary. Yeah, it, it is because it's driving us to other forms of energy that aren't the best. I mean, aren't the best for our overall portfolio. Again, too many eggs in one basket, and that's when we're going to get into trouble. Sure. Well, and and it seems like the coal basket is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. It and is. And I think that's the direction we're going. And we're, we're somewhat resigned to that. Uh, you know, we certainly can do coal better, and we need to do coal better. And I, I 
coal's never going to totally go away, but it's certainly in a decline right now. And I, I don't know what it will take to turn that decline around. You know, we had a shot at the future gen plant in Illinois, but they pulled the funding on that mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks. And so I, it looks bleak. And the, the uh, future gen project, just in case those of our listeners aren't aware, was a carbon sequestration project where a significant amount of the CO2 output of that plant was going to be captured and then um, mm -hmm. sequestered so that it didn't get released into the atmosphere. And there was uh, quite a bit of grant funding for that project that, that was pulled. So that's part of the reason mm -hmm. that project isn't happening. But, yeah. but it's another event that pushes us, pushes us towards natural gas. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've got nuclear shutting down, pushing us to natural gas. We've got coal shutting down, pushing us to natural gas. And people just need to be aware that someday we're going to wake up with a whole bunch of eggs in the natural gas basket. Yep. And uh, you shouldn't be asking why. It's yep. we're, we're telling you why today. Well, and in and, and doing all of that, I think still we are not getting as close to meeting our carbon goals as we could be. I, I read this Brookings Brookings Institute report that talked about the projected actual avoided emissions per megawatt hour of installed capacity, and it compared nuclear, wind, and solar, all replacing coal. Mm -hmm. And per megawatt of nuclear installed, you had about eight hundred and or, or sorry eight thousand tons of of avoided emissions, right? For wind, you had about 2,000 tons, and for solar, about 1,400. So put that another way, we could basically avoid about four times the amount of carbon emissions with nuclear that we can with wind and solar, mm -hmm. certainly more than we can with natural gas, which still emits. Yeah. And so if we're going to be making a decision to replace coal with something, and we are because that basket's getting smaller, that part of that something should be nuclear. It, it should be. It should be. Yeah, so to wrap it up, to summarize, uh, we don't have any really direction for you today other than to be aware that we have, we have issues in our portfolio. And one of our big issues is nuclear energy. It's becoming less and less a piece of our portfolio, and that causes us some concerns. Uh, those concerns may not be realized in the next two to three years, but certainly in the 10 to 20-year time frame, um, we could one day wake up and have a, a bunch of natural gas generation and be wondering, why, why didn't we do more with nuclear? Mm -hmm. there, there's a great document, documentary, documentary, I'm sorry, I'm struggling with my words today, but documentary uh, called Pandora's Promise that uh, some environmentalists put together to look at our history with nuclear energy over the last 30 years and the whole question behind Pandora's promise is, have we missed the boat? Mm -hmm. You know, should we have done more with nuclear over the last 30 years? But for me, that, that show tells me we got to get started today mm -hmm. so we don't do a Pandora's promise two in 30 years and say, boy, we should have done something because it looks like we're not doing anything again. We know the issue. We know the benefits. Certainly there are the bad sides of nuclear, but... We know the benefits, and we don't seem to be wanting to take advantage of them. Absolutely. There's a, a great quote that I had read that I think is a, a fitting for this, but basically it's that, you know, the best time to have planted a tree, if you want a tree today, was 20 years ago. But right. the second best time to plant a tree is today. Yeah. Right? And so I, it's time. Yep. And that's the simple message of this podcast. It, it, it's time to get started, to be aware, and 
figure out what we can do to increase the the nuclear movement in in this country and for everyone's benefit absolutely we're going to close out our podcast in the future today and in the future with uh something we call co-op trivia you may not know and my trivia is pretty simple this time i'd like to point out that there's 318 million people in the united states electric co-ops serve 42 million of those people and those 42 million people live in 75% of the landmass. So the co-ops serve 75% of the landmass in this country with just a small percentage of the population. And that's why we focus so hard on affordability. Yeah, that's really interesting. So covering such wide distances and at the same time really not getting as many people in those wide distances as utilities that serve more urban areas. Correct. And my fact kind of fits along with that fact because what I was going to say today is that uh, we are we have electric co-ops in 47 states. So they truly are nationwide. In 47 of the U.S. states, there is at least one electric co-op. Hawaii to Maine. Hawaii to Maine. It's, it's, it's a good day. To, it's always a good day to be a member of an electric co-op. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.